freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Hey, a snowy end of winter culminator day here in Newark, New Jersey. And, and I'm speaking to Matt Palumbo, who I learned for the first time is scant miles away from me. Is, is it snowing out your window too, Matt? Yeah, it's been a, it hasn't really been sticking, doesn't look like, but it's been flurrying pretty much you know, all, all day consistently. And uh, I think I can get out though. So that's good. I'm a, <laughs> you mean snow? <laughs> I'm not trapped basically. So it's, it's fine. Well, we had some, you know, it's been a couple of years since we've had that real new, you know, hill hills of Essex and Morris County kind of mm -hmm. snows where, you know, you can really have some adventures. There, there was that one year where they didn't salt, and then it was a disaster. And then now, anytime there's any sort of snow, whatever, they kind of go overboard, so you can get around, which is nice. But uh, yeah, yeah. So Matt, once again, you guys haven't heard me say this for a while, um, and of course, by the time you hear this, it'll be truly beautiful. I'm sure, warm springtime officially. But um, we're we're recording this in uh, second week of March. Matt is. Um, one of those guys who he and I have interacted for years together on Twitter and we've never had the chance to meet each other. And here it's even less excusable because we're really practically neighbors, especially because until my fairly recent move to Newark, I was in uh, Roseland and uh, in any event, it's good to have a, a Jersey guy here uh, on with me. Um, we're going to talk about some very, very depressing stuff today though. And in fact, Matt was so kind to send me a, his book beforehand. And I'm gonna share with the world uh, a, a quick shot of the topic of that book. And they're gonna understand why I didn't, I couldn't bear, I couldn't bear to open it. I mean, I, you know, I just, I find this subject, the subject of George Soros, so depressing on so many levels. Uh, and I'm sure you're going to make me feel even worse by the time we're done. But let's see. Maybe maybe we'll come up with some with a silver lining. Mm -hmm. Let's um, you know the the putative theme of the um, of the podcast. I don't think I've actually ever said this during an episode. If I have, it's only been fairly recently. So I've asked people in the past to come on, and they say, "Well, what's the podcast about?" And before I tell them it's about free speech and cancel culture, and I have to stop myself from saying, I'm Ron Coleman. It doesn't have to be about anything. It's about Ron Coleman and what he thinks of things. But I'm not going to, I don't say that. So I always have to try to find a way, even though it really ends up being about just a conversation between me and some of the most interesting people in, you know, uh, who are the most, some of the most interesting people who are willing to come onto the show. <laughs> and that are willing. Um, <laughs> um, I, I do try to jam it a little bit into, into the topical concept. The thing about Soros is a lot of 
I don't hear a lot about his direct involvement in the massive censorship movement that has swept the country and social media in the last couple of years. And I'm not asking you to necessarily address that at this point, because I'd rather actually start with the more basic stuff. But am I correct in assuming that his fingers are in that every bit as much as they're in everything else? Um, I mean, I don't cover that in the book specifically, but I mean, everything he, he funds is of the same vein as that, you know, they're all cut from the same ideological cloth. Um, and we are sort of seeing, um, you know, in the Biden era, which, you know, Soros has various, um, you know, various people who work for Soros related uh, NGOs or boards are in the Biden White House. I mean, Ron Klain is among them, Neera Tandon, uh, Anthony Blinken is linked to Soros. And I have a big session of the book on that. And and they're all or the administration collectively has tried to sort of do a new form of censorship is, you know, we're always complaining about, you know, uh, big tech censorship. And we're obviously talking about it as a cultural value that we're against censorship. But they, of course, make it literal and go, well, as long as it's not the government, it's OK. And the government is now trying to, you know, basically pressure big tech companies into doing their censorship. And um, we, I mean, there's a, a story out recently that, the, that basically the Biden administration was paying, um, I think, 100 different media companies to spread vaccine information. Um, and, you know, whether or not you're pro or anti, it's just, you know, notable that the administration is doing that. Um, they very much pressure big tech companies across the board to censor. Um, when Trump got kicked off of Twitter, Pisaki was the first to go out there and go, well, hey, if he's off Twitter, why is he going off everywhere else? So um, the, the administration as a whole, the, the cultural left has shifted completely in form of censorship. Um, the only exception is if you want to talk to five-year-olds about sex in Florida, <laughs> apparently that then, then, you know, you can't be against that or else. Uh, for, then free speech becomes absolutely absolute. Yeah, th that's, that's it. But uh, yeah, so but yeah, no, there, there's definitely a shared interest there. And I, I mean, I look, I, I talk a lot on this program about, about that, those things that you're, that you're mentioning and the, the, the way I refer to it is um, outsourcing of censorship. You're right. And that's a real problem. And we brought a case on behalf of uh, DC Drano, um, in, um, which was heard in, in California by the brother of Justice Breyer, who's a senior district judge there. And we demonstrated based on very, very well-documented uh, um, evidence, which tends, you know, usually when you're filing a lawsuit, you don't, you don't have to, and you probably shouldn't put a lot of evidence into the complaint. But this was a case where we thought it would be a good idea to demonstrate that we weren't just making this up, that the state of California had set up this, this election security commissariat. And they would basically tell Twitter who was a problem. And by, it had nothing to do with election security. It had to do with wrong thing. And those people would then get strikes and then banned. Yeah. Well, um, and, and, and the judge the judge's ruling was it was speculative mm -hmm. we've appealed to the ninth circuit mm -hmm. but wow speculative i mean well, the whole fact the whole fact checking racket is it's left-wing activism and, and damage control under the guise of fact checking where i mean so just it's like it's an overview like if you run a facebook page and you got a million fans um, there is some algorithm that determines what percentage of your, your audience will actually see your post. So let's just say it's 10%. So you post something, 100,000 of your fans will see it. If you get flagged or dinged with a, flag, a fact check, they will reduce that percentage. And then, but you know, after a few of those, no one is seeing your posts. And it's, it, it's, they'll preemptively fact check things that 
or anyway uh, negative to Democrats. So there was one the USA Today did where it was that story about Biden checking his watch during the, the transfer of the 13 soldiers we lost in Afghanistan last year. And right. they tried to claim like, oh, no, he checked his watch after the transfer. So then, of course, anyone who posted the story, including us, got flagged for posting that. Well, turns out the family spoke out. He didn't only check his watch once during the transfer. It was something like 12 or 13 times. Every single time there was a body, he checked his watch. So the fact checker was, was wrong about the timing and the magnitude by a factor of you know 12 or 13. Yet their original fact check still hit us. So there's no, there's no real accountability. And they all play the victim too. They all do the whole, oh my God, I'm being attacked for trying to uncover the truth. But we all know what they're really doing. And, and I actually have a whole series on PolitiFact. I probably have 10... Actually, maybe as much as 20 articles, just fact-checking fact-checkers. And the stuff they get wrong, it's not in the realm of, well, maybe they don't know any better. It's This is just so blatantly obvious you had to have ignored it. All right. So, look, here's the thing with, with, with you, Matt. Mm -hmm. You seem to – you're one of these guys that I run across. You know, I think it's – I have a very large percentage of people who I interview are closer to my age than to your age. Mm -hmm. And I'm very proud of that because I have to be careful not to only interview uh, cool young things like you, <laughs> uh, even though there's a good demographic uh, reason to do so. Right, Jeremy? Um, but you have one of those careers, uh, sort of like um, uh, Ash Show, who uh, like you represent a type uh, you know, what are you around 30? Uh, 28. Yeah. Okay. People who have been immersed in this, in the social media world and the conservative activist world, and you're everywhere. And you, I, so before we talk about the book, and can you give, can you give me and the audience a sense of how you got this cool job of working for, for Bongino and how you got how, how you turn person because you know a lot of people want to grow up to, 10 years ago i used to get emails that people wanted to grow up to be mean i i'm not getting them anymore they want to grow, oh. of course because they figure i'm pretty much someone someone said that i looked like i was about 80 last night uh, and, brutal now i, now I, I have i have not looked a day over 60 since i was 30 um Tell me, tell me, but I do think a lot of people want to grow up to be folks like you and, and Ash. How does it happen? How did it happen for you? Right. So I've, uh, I've been interested in politics since I was maybe 15 or 16. Um, when I was 16, I wrote for, um, or this, this event, our uh, high school history teacher forced us all to compete in, which was for the better called uh, National History Day, where I had to write my first 10 page essay of my life, which was a very big deal at age 15. Where would you go? Where'd you go to high school? Uh, Westmore Central High School in uh, uh, Chester, New Jersey. Um, and actually, uh, it's funny. I actually, uh, one of uh, the people that graduated above me works for Fox News for Cavuto right now. Uh, Carly Shimkus went to my high school. Uh, so we had a lot of Fox people there. Uh, but I wrote this, this essay for that, that contest uh, on gun control. And they, they, it was more of a historical essay and just what the founders were saying. And I had some of the stats aspect in there of arguing against gun control. But, you know, I was kind of proud of my paper. And I, I just sort of wanted to develop it even beyond the class and ended up turning into what became the first chapter of a book I published when I was 19. Um, but I just sort of used that as a jumping off point to go, hey, I could, you know, in 10,000 words, really analyze the topic. Why don't I pick a bunch of others that I'm interested in and, you know, make it sort of a learning experience for myself, but also have it backed up in a book. So I. I so when did you grad? You graduated high school in 2012 when I was yeah, 2012. So so I had already been on Twitter for three years. Brutal. 
when you graduated high school, which means that Twitter was was already in full bloom. And this was well before the censorship days. Mm-hmm. Um, so you so you were growing up already in the social media era. Yeah, Facebook is already old hat. Yeah, I don't think I joined Twitter until maybe like 2014 or 15. Um, that's where mm-hmm. I got active on it. I mean, it is it's it's weird, but it's like the seventh layer of hell, but it's also a great site. So uh, I'm kind of weighing those two things. You're exactly right. And you know, I'm getting a lot of not a lot, but you know, someone like me who's so desperate to be loved. So 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 anytime I get, you know, non uh, non Antifa on when people are disappointed in me, let's put it that way. And some people saying, because uh, I'm, I'm I, oddly enough, I'm, I'm being rolled out as an early super follower. Um, oh, I saw that. In accepting, your, uh, yeah, yeah. And how? Oh, grifter, grifter. I'm telling you what you get. I'm, I'm asking if you want to pay five bucks a month to get it, yeah. you can have it. I'm not selling snake oil, but what is this? Some people have said, well, why would you want to support Twitter? Why would you? And um, this morning I thought to myself, you know, Twitter has been so awful. And, and, you know, I'm beginning to think that Jack Dorsey's exit was the best thing because things have gotten a little bit more normal there, I think. You think so? I don't, I, I just don't I, trust the new guy either. But I mean, you might not, we, neither we, of them are really well, great, obviously. Yeah. I think, I think I'm seeing a lot less heavy handed banning and, and shadow banning, frankly. But, and, and the fact that I'm, an early shadow, uh, shadow super follower guy that, I mean, they know, they know who I am. Right. Yeah. You am. Out there. So where would I be? I mean, it's been extremely important for my career. I, a very large percentage of my work now what, is related to the, to this, my prep, my social media presence. One of, one of the the things I found about it, that it's the most useful. And I guess I'll get back to my origin story in a bit um, is just the, you see how the sausage is made in real time. Like you'll see how a talking point evolves. So a week ago it was, well, gas prices are so high because I mean, these corporations are just all of a sudden in the, in the, the fourth quarter of 2021 decided let's be greedy. We apparently never before in history were they ever greedy. So and then, and then within a week, and someone actually did a back-to-back. It was from some far left page where they were blaming it on what I just mentioned. And then, and then saying like, you know, don't blame it on Ukraine because it has to do with corporate greed. And literally the next day, you know, we're all going to make sacrifices to beat Putin. And if banning Russian oil makes it more expensive, that's worth the cost. Yeah. So with, within a week, they've had two different explanations as opposed to just we need to drill more oil. Um, and, and the Biden administration obviously acknowledges this because like they, they, they need more oil produced. So they're asking other countries to do it so they can save face and not break their campaign promise of having us be the one who does it. But they realize what the solution is. So it, it's their, I don't know, you, you, it, and it's funny too, how, how many people can't see that happening. Like for instance, with the don't say gay bill, the first thing I ever heard about it was there's a bill called the, the don't say gay bill. And my first reaction was, no, it's not. And I just clicked out of it. I didn't read a single word. Didn't read what they said. I just went, no, that's not true. Click. And then guess what? It's not true. So I don't, you just kind of learn like what's BS intuitively and what's not. So there you are though, before things got quite so black and white and quite so vicious and quite so obvious. And you're, how'd you sell the book? I mean, 
So no one really read it is the thing. I just, I mean, I think maybe 500 copies, <laughs> I think maybe 500 copies that got sold, but like 350 of those or 400 where I just made it free at one point on Amazon because I wanted someone to read it. Um, fortunately, Dan Bongino ended up reading it. Um, so about a year after I got, um, the book came out in 2013, I was 19 at the time. Uh, about a year later, I was working for a publication called Rare. I was, I think, a sophomore in college. Uh, Jack Hunter was running it at the time, who worked for Rand Paul. Um, he hired me. Um, and I wrote just a movie review of something Robert Reich uh, did. It was, or it was a documentary he did. It was terrible. So I just, you know, was sitting there watching it and just typing up rebuttals kind of line by line as he was saying it. And, uh, but can camera angles like up, tilting upward. Me? Oh, me no, uh, no. Robert Reich shot oh, the movie. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, he, is a, he was great in The Hobbit. Yeah, that went away <laughs> over my head. It would have went over his head as well. Um, so... Um, so anyway, I wrote that, that rebuttal to him. Dan loved it and ended up sort of following me after that. I think he had maybe 2,000 Twitter followers at the time. Um, and then I noticed wow. he had the check marks. So I'm like, well, this guy's got to be important. He's got a check mark. <laughs> and uh, we kind of hit it off from there. Uh, he started inviting me like on radio shows. He was going on. And we, we ended up becoming friends. And uh, at the time, I was studying finance in college. Um, and I, I actually didn't really think politics would be a career. Um, just because like when you're, when you're starting out writing and getting like 50 bucks an article, like to scale that is seems impossible and obviously it's not what i'm doing now um but when you're starting so, out it, it seems that way um, so you've been with dan for quite some time then so i've known him for in your life in what counts in my life, yeah, i've known him for i think eight or nine years i've been working for him full-time for about three or so um but then i so i ended up getting a job in my in, in the finance industry for like eight weeks and you know just decided this totally sucks um so uh dan this was maybe three years before I worked for Dan. Um, so I was just kind of emailing random people to hire me that were in politics. And Alan West was the only person who got back to me. Um, so really? he hired So he hired me as a writer. Um, and he paid for me based on the revenue I would generate. And turns out I was capable of generating it quite a bit. So I ended up doing that full time um, for about two years. Um, after the 2016 election, Facebook just throttled the page out of existence. So I couldn't really make money at it. Um, so then I just was, just, I don't know, sort of just writing in the background and more or less, I don't know, like not doing nothing, but just, you know, wasn't that productive, was just sort of looking for work, ended up just taking like an odd job at a bank just to kind of kill time during the day because I didn't know what else to do. And then uh, as I'm there, bored out of my mind, Dan just calls me and goes, hey, I've got a new, I'm going to start up a cycle about junior report and you're going to run it. And I was like, right, yeah, sounds good. And uh, it kind of went from there. And, you know, that's three years have been that. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty, it's uh, a pretty easy life. Yeah, I mean, except, you know, except the brief you're, period of unemployment, pretty, yeah, <laughs> pretty easy. Uh, I mean, you're, though, you're, and now you're central life, I assume, right? You make a million dollars a day. Not not quite a day, but, you know, it, it is, <laughs> I can't complain or anything. Um, yeah, I know. It's pretty much a dream job. I mean, the work pay, you know, it's, it, listen, I, I work very hard, but he compensates me accordingly. So I, I can't complain at all. And where's he located? Uh, he's in Florida. So I'm mm -hmm. you know, the whole team is basically remote, except uh, his wife, I think. Very, you know, I met Dan briefly at the uh, social media summit. Uh, where our hearts were just another heartbreaking opportunity for us to see a little bit of light from Donald Trump and then right nothing yeah. nothing yeah I don't I'm not even seeing my true social anymore like what the heck's the deal with that I saw you were just posting about it too well I was it's so funny what happened was I actually just every you know like I'm not trying not to do it every single day but I'm having some fun with the fact that they have been so incompetent. I mean, I, I the fact I would never. I was actually saying for a long time. 
I'm, you know, I'm not a Trump cultist. I do mm -hmm. think that he, in many respects, was the man for the hour, and that his accomplishments were significant. And there's also a lot of disappointment. But you've read my tweets. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't going to run to get onto Truth Social mm -hmm. because it struck me as like the Trump Club. And, mm -hmm. But on the other hand, all my friends are going to be there. And you know, if you're if you're posting already at Getter and you're already yeah. posting at Twitter, you may so fine. I'll cut and paste. And I happened, but I would not have stayed up. I don't stay up. Mm -hmm. When I was going out with my wife, she asked me, we were talking about coffee. And she told me, I didn't drink coffee at the time. I don't really drink much of it anymore. Anyway, she's a big coffee drinker. And I mentioned to her that I don't drink coffee. And she said, well, what do you, how, do you, how do you stay up? How do you get through college and law school? So I went to sleep. <laughs> That's why she got this into Stanford Law School and I didn't. You know? <laughs> um, but I happened to have been up because I was traveling. I went down to Miami and I saw my mom and I got to her place in Boynton Beach late. And I just happened to be poking her. I didn't even know when the rollout was. And then I saw, oh my gosh, it's, everyone's it's running over to truth. So I, okay, fine, I'll put in my application. Why would someone like me be given a preview after all? I'm not, I'm nothing fine and i feel oh I'm, i i've registered within the first hour this is cool that was three and a half weeks ago and until just about five minutes ago just just before we went i started recording went on the air just before we started recording i did a, a a series of screenshots of getting notifications from truth social over the the that screen that says your um here's your here's your waitlist number it's about a hundred thousand and change it's not that's not a hundred thousand and change because i don't have oh you know right you're right my my, my waitlist is a hundred thousand is, is like a hundred thousand which it's been the same mm. that's a heck of a waitlist okay where it doesn't ever change yeah it's not great i mean i think i mean I, obviously i don't know any behind the scenes it seems like they just kind of wanted to get it out on president's day for like the symbolic uh nature of it before it was really fully built i mean i, I so i got one of the beta ones for a uh, bungina report um it's i mean it's basically a twitter clone uh, the engagement's a lot better um i have I mean, the only my only thing i haven't liked about sites like that or parlor and getter is as insane as the left is like they're kind of what makes twitter fun um, yes that, that's right who wants to that's like, why like when someone parlor, was with like, all due respect to dan parlor never did it for me i just want to show you i, I did a, a screen four pictures of people getting yeah. notifications of people following. This is how good I am at social media. I don't even have to post. <laughs> I don't even have to have a profile for people to follow me. So I did this really meaning to just, to just That's for humor. Cool. humor yeah. Well, right before we went on, I got this. Your wait is over. Someone oh, ran, nice. some, someone was, pay, believe me, it was not a coincidence. Someone pays it. You know, there's a guy who has like 175,000 followers and, who is kind of MAGA and he's kind of embarrassing us. Can someone just pull the hair out of the drain, you know, under his name? And you know, well, I'll go follow you after this. So we'll yeah, I can't, I can't wait. Yeah. So all right. So you so you so you're like you're like the you're like one of the kids of this time of mm -hmm. like you you're really just and you're with Dan and you're have you 
like just this is just so cool. And then you get to write, but now you're writing books that people are buying, even if they right. even if they don't get review, even if they don't get reviewed. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the New York Times stumped me from the bestseller list. Like I sold like three or four times the amount you need to get on there, and they just completely ignored me, which I'm actually proud of. So I'm not really complaining, but uh, I want to I want to I, I should tell my publisher he probably would game if instead of like a, a New York Times bestseller, like we could have like snubs by the New York Times bestseller list or something on the cover. That yeah, that's true. We should make we should you should someone who really understands this should make some kind of index mm-hmm. of sales versus weeks snubbed by the New York Times. Like some, some that would be good. The snubbed index, magic or something. Nu- magic yeah. number, yeah, yeah. That and that would of course be a um uh, you know a an honor. So so now you know, let's talk about the book about the most recent book. Sure, George Soros. Everyone listening to this understands that he's the guy. He's, he's brilliant. Oh, he's and, really and, smart. Uh, I, I actually had to read uh, a lot of his financial writings, um, it, which weren't really that useful for the book. I just kind of wanted to know everything this guy thinks, though. And it was a lot of stuff. Like, I was like, oh, I wish I read this in college just for the perspective, not like I agree with it, but just for the alternate view of kind of the conventional wisdom I was learning at the time. Um, so it, it, the book's divided into a lot of different sections. I mean, the beginning is just an or, you know, origin story of who this guy is, where he came from, his kind of early ventures and, and philosophy. Uh, then I just sort of take through as in his history of influence in U.S. politics, uh, which is mainly through presidential elections, that chapter. And then I, I dive into uh, local politics is a whole separate chapter where I just sort of list by state. Here are all the kooks he, he's funding for district and commonwealth attorney races, what their philosophy is, what he gives them, what happens. And it's uh, only repetitive in, in the format, but each one is you know insane in their own unique way. Um, and then, and then, just a lot of just random stuff. Like I have a whole chapter on just leaked documents from from Soros-backed organizations, and when they tell us, I, you know, influence in Europe and, and all, you know, really just across the world. And I just kind of want to give a whole comprehensive overview of of this guy and what he's all about. So you probably are in a good position to answer this question. How much, how much of the social of the of the of the tactics mm-hmm. come from him? Or does he have a brain trust to come up with these? For example, I thought that this district attorney idea it is true evil genius. It was oh, true yeah. evil genius because, because you could say confidently five years ago that notwithstanding the swing back and forth in Washington, conservatives were owning statewide elections, mm-hmm. owning state houses, it was it was like little and there was the sense that little by little, this was how we were going to consolidate taking the country back from. And then this idea that, well, why should why should we be limited by things like laws or enforcing them? How can we get away from that? And, and, and then and going for district attorneys and, you know, uh, and state, uh, you know, and and. Um, what is it? Um, Commonwealth attorneys, attorneys general. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, brilliant. So is that is that something that would have sprung from his brow or or, or, or is he removed and he basically writes a big check? That's what I, so that's I would I would say in this case, I would assume so in that like, in a lot of things he's funding, like he'll give to 
an organization that pushes a certain ideology. These are all just him individually backing each candidate as opposed to funding a group that's funding them. So I, I would say he had his idea. And, and the brilliance of it, too, is, as you said, you know, it circumnavigates the law in that, you know, you don't need to go through a, a legislature or a governor to get what you want done. If you don't want bail, you, you, you back a DA who's not going to support bail. If you want lesser sentences for different crimes, you, you know, find someone who's not going to enforce them or, or have lower conviction rates. Or So it just it's allowed him to sort of circumnavigate all of that. Um, but you know what he might not have counted. I mean, maybe he, maybe by now he knows the the, the spinelessness of, of who his opposition is. Yeah. You know, if you're a governor or you're even in a legislature in a in a state or a or a municipality or a city where someone becomes the chief law enforcement officer of your subdivision or, or your state and says. He, well, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to enforce the following laws that are on the books anymore. You have, in my opinion, an obligation as the governor, or again, or whatever the case may be, to say, well, no, no, no. These, that's, you don't, that's not prosecutorial discretion. You can't, uh, an attorney general of a state does not have veto power. Mm-hmm. Or, or a district attorney of a city does not have veto power over what legislatures decide mm-hmm. shall and shall not be. And, and I remember th- this issue first, uh, a related issue first became coherent in my head when during the, um, the same-sex marriage uh, 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 um, appeal in the, in, the, in, the, in the Supreme Court, the Obama um, administration said, well, we're not going to, we're not going to defend this law mm-hmm. of the United, that, that was passed by the Congress of the United States. And nobody had a problem with that. Now, I, I, I can see where there should be some wiggle room there. It's a little bit different. But, you know, that, that's my observation. I'm not sure that, that, that opens up. A, a, I mean, the thing is, you, you have a fertile mind. So I'm sure you have something that you can say in response to what I just said. But could he possibly have imagined that there would be no pushback from from the establishment that someone yeah. wouldn't say, oh, no, 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 that's not your department to decide what, what gets prosecuted or not. Right. Well, the thing is, he's sort of strategically picked a lot. Like, uh, most of them are in states with blue governors. So he's sort of lucked out and that a lot of them share the same ideology. Um, now, there are obviously exceptions to the rule. Um, like, I think. I think Missouri, God, I hope I'm not getting this wrong. I, I think they, I should actually just look it up in front of a computer. Is Missouri's governor Republican? Let's see. Yes. All right. So that's one exception to the rule. Uh, but Kim Gardner is the one from there who, uh, uh, I think it was Kim Gardner from Missouri, the one who went after the McCloskeys um, is the Soros-backed DA. Um, actually, one of the points I make in the book is, you know, even five years ago, like it would be sort of weird to think that uh, you know, local, like, most people don't know who the representative is. And like for, for a DA to be a household name is su- sort of unheard of even five years ago. But now there's like Kim Garner, we have Chase Abudin, um, with Krasner and P- PA, George Gascon. Um, and just this whole list of people who, you know, many of them sort of, and they, there's this weird perception a lot of people have, specifically young people, that the reason everyone's in jail is because they got caught with like a doobie at a party one time. And it's just not true, but they'll they'll focus on, hey, we're against all these low level offenses and hey, you don't want to put someone in jail for that or, or you know, we're all about giving people second chances and rehabilitation. But 
that all sounds great in theory, but when it actually goes into practice, it's it's wait all, all of a second, this guy just murdered someone and he somehow got bail. That's less than what Kyle Rittenhouse got for defending himself. So, and there's countless examples, like in, in New York, which this is you know, separate from the Soros back stuff, but they did a bail reform law um, that was supposed to, I think, like 80 or 90% of laws or uh, of nonviolent crimes were, were not going to require bail. And you could say, again, in theory, that sounds good, but Sorry, sorry, not even in theory doesn't sound good. There's plenty of crimes. Like if, if I defrauded someone out of a million dollars, it's nonviolent, but I should go to jail. Um, but, but um, you know, the logistics. Well, when, you, when you were a very young child, mm-hmm. if that, yeah. this might've been during the Giuliani mayoralty mm-hmm. in New York, when, the broken window. Yeah, I had hypothesis. a whole, uh, actually a separate book on uh, the covers, all of that. And uh, they said- it, The thing is it works. And, 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 and it fair jumpers. Yeah, are usually not just fair jumpers. Correct. Well, the thing is, they'll they'll use logic like this. They'll say like, okay, you know, a fair jumper, it costs you three bucks to to you know their cost to, to society is three dollars. And hey, if you put them in jail, it's going to cost us a thousand bucks a week. So where where's the cost benefit? And you go, okay, but that's for one person. If you don't enforce the law, then everyone does it. And and which and that, you know, there's, there's a that deterrent. is such a stupid argument. Correct. There's, and it's been made a lot of times, but they're ignoring the deter- the deterrent effect. And as I was saying about the whole bail reform, the there's also the logistical component of we have a team of bureaucrats who have these far left opinions, and we have to trust their judgment in categorizing all these tens of thousands of different types of possible crimes into different categories, and they can't do that correctly. So when they roll out bail reform, or, or the lack of bail, really, they're, you know, uh, being an accessory to murder was initially classified as a nonviolent crime, because technically speaking, it, if you're a getaway driver or something, you might not have pulled the trigger. So there was all these absurdities like that. I mean, fortunately, they got patched, but it just shows you how poorly thought out a lot of these laws are, and it's magnified by quite a bit. Believe it or not, I don't know if you're having as much fun as I am, but we've, we've chewed up 40 minutes, Damn. which is usually when we start getting people, you know, calling their moms out. to pick them up. So I want to just come back briefly since you do have the book and I like to sure. help people sell their books. Um, big picture. Yes. George Soros. The man is a refugee from totalitarianism. He is not a fool. Moreover, he seems to act, notwithstanding the things that people say. I believe he is an evil man, but I don't believe he is. Um, uh, who is it again from from uh, doctor? Doc, he's not Dr. Evil, right? He's not going around saying what evil thinking I do today. I am sure that he believes that he is on the side of the angels. My question is, do you, have you ever seen any sense, any, anything in, in the stuff that people have quoted him saying or anything that he's written that suggests that he is aware of the contradictions of, his, of what he, his conscience tells him to do and what the outcomes of his spending and or, you know causes that he supports result in well the thing that Soros actually is is i you know normally i am very charitable and sort of ascribing people's motives like if you're you know some boomer liberal and your profile picture is a cat and you think trump is evil like i legitimately think whatever you watch stephen colbert it's what you've been told you don't know any better these people are all my neighbors they, they all get along you know they're, they're kooks but whatever you know they think they're doing the right thing um soros i, I disagree with, with that and that it's just it's very easy to see the consequences of his politics and like with a lot of the law 
<coughs> the uh, criminal justice reform stuff, there's just no real logic, you know, when you get beyond any sort of stage one thinking um, for any of it to make sense. And even if you didn't think it makes sense, we have, I mean, in, in most of these cities, the murder has doubled in, in 2020 and it continued to increase in 2021. So, uh, you know, we have a controlled experiment. It didn't work. Um, as so, for, so is he like a hardcore Bolshevik? Is that what it is? Because because those people are the ones who are, who never learn. Who yeah. never, that's what it really is, isn't it? It's either that or it's, you know, sort of like a, to make a Thomas Sowell type argument. They just have this sort of vision of, of how things ought to be. And, and that vision itself is, is more important than, than actual reality. Um, as for how Soros thinks, I mean, one, one part of the book that um, a, a lot of liberals have tried to claim is out of context was this interview he did with 60 Minutes uh, back in 1995, where he's, I think you, you know what I'm going on about. I actually, probably everyone watching this has seen it, um, where, where he's talking about, you know, being a Jew in Hungary and-, and The happiest time of my life. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, the Nazis would, would recruit Jews in the local population who, you know, most of them were under this false impression they might be spared. They obviously were not. Um, but to help, you know, serve deportation notices, confiscate people's goods. And Soros took a job as one of them. And, and in the interview was talking about it and the the whole steve croft was the host he was trying to sort of give him some wiggle room and be like but you know surely you feel bad about it and you had to do it and he was kind of like oh no like i enjoyed it and if i didn't do it someone else would have done it so i don't feel bad uh obviously i'm paraphrasing but that was the attitude yeah. so yeah so that I was i think he said i, I think what I, I think he said it was the happiest time of his life i, I mean that's what i recall i don't know that exact the, quote but he was completely unfazed like by it at all not disturbed and and um and that's one of the very few things, and I actually have a lot of quotes in the book where Soros describes himself as an egomaniac and a narcissist and all that, which is, at least he admits it, but this is one of those things, that, it's one of the few things he tried to walk back, because I think he realized how explosive that was. And of course, all the media that's largely funded by him does the whole, oh yeah, it's, it's out of context and you're anti-Semitic for questioning it. So in the course of my research, I found that Soros' own father wrote an autobiography. So I, of course, I buy, the, I buy the book, talks about that exact incident, and this is years before that 60 Minutes interview, um, actually probably decades before it, um, and describes it more or less in an identical sense of the 60 Minutes interview. It was totally in context, said his son seemed to enjoy the job and he tried to dissuade him from it. So uh, wow. yeah, not exactly a good guy, seems to find purpose in, in the weirdest things or the most sinister things. Do you think he's gonna, is, any, is there anything that can stop him? Is uh, I mean, stopping I guess him? death, but get time. I mean, he's 91 years old, so I, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it's going to, you know, I don't know how to say That's, this charitably. He's going to pass away, basically. All right, but his money won't, right? And he has, well, he has so, set things up. Yeah, that's sort of the last section of the book is just what's next. And, and Soros claims, um, you know, he, he was worried about his organization or he cites other organizations where their missions kind of strayed from their founder after their founder died. Um, but so he was claims he was initially worried about that, but his sons are going to be in charge of it. So that's sort of changed his, his mind. And the amount of money he's donated to his foundation in just the past five years uh, is pretty much comparable to what he spent on politics in the past 40 or, or so years. So uh, the amount that they're going to have going forward is, is more than they've spent basically well i hope we find out soon if that's, he's right yeah, find out. that's a good way of putting it because um we have an ex we have an expression in in the jewish tradition yesh din v'yesh dayan there is there is justice and there is a judge and he is gonna have some explaining to do mm. and it is um I suppose our only defense is to just fight back on the merits and you know yeah. plug the holes uh, you know, people with private money, we do, I think, I think you and I probably both support the idea that people should be able to do with their money, more or less mm -hmm. what they want to. Um, 
should it include subversive subversion of you know of society i mean there are some countries that have how many countries have declared them persona non grata? Oh, like Kazakhstan, I think Indonesia, China, Russia. I mean, unfortunately, they're not, you know, the countries we necessarily like, but on that one thing, they did the right thing. Um, but yes, I, I have a list of those as well, but I, I think I got them all. But That's it. All this right. is ridiculous. It's 50 minutes. We're pushing 50 minutes and... Um... We're having we're having a lot of fun. Maybe we'll have lunch uh, sometime. Yeah, when it gets, definitely uh, should. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, meet you in in Livingston, perhaps. That's where the kosher restaurants are. Right. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody, buy the book. I agree. You know, I mean, I, I know that you all have a problem with paying five dollars a month to get uh, hear me talk about my toe operation. Uh, why you would have that problem, I don't know, but it's definitely worth a, a book worth having, even if you don't get it for free, as I did. Um, and uh, Thanks again for coming on. We'll yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So long. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.